I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, let's get brutally honest about storytelling, specifically what people get wrong about storytelling. And when I'm looking at the people that get things wrong or misunderstand things about storytelling, they generally fall into two different groups. One group is the people that could benefit from understanding how to use stories, how to leverage storytelling in their businesses and their personal lives to help them achieve their missions and their goals and their dreams. And often what they misunderstand are things like what exactly is a story and what is not a story? What types of stories to tell when and to whom and why? They just don't understand how stories work in a way that inspires their audiences, their customers, their communities, their clients, in a way that inspires them to take action. Now, The other group of people are the so-called storytelling gurus that are teaching these people how to tell stories better or attempting to teach them that. And what happens most often there is they misconstrue simple, tangible advice that can be applied immediately to people who are trying to market their products or services or build their communities or achieve their dreams and goals, right? The people who can leverage storytelling. And instead, they give them, you know, different regurgitations of the same old storytelling structures that are complex and convoluted and very difficult for people to actually use to implement their storytelling strategy. Now, a lot of these storytelling models and structures that get touted all the time are are very popular in terms of content. People love to see the, the the formulas and and debate them and dissect them. But often it doesn't help them go to their social media platforms and create a 60 second story that hits their audience right in the feels, right in the pain points in a way that makes them want to click the link in the in the, in the bio, right? And that's because you don't need a 17 step hero's journey to do that, all right? If you're writing and um, directing Star Wars, sure, you're going to have something that dense. But otherwise, it's about keeping it simple. And that is precisely what my guest today specializes in. What's up, storytellers? Welcome back to the Storytelling Lab podcast. This is episode 132, and today my guest is Francisco Mafus. And Francisco and I have been dancing around each other for quite a while now, and you'll hear right in the intro of our conversation, he kind of gives me a little, he kind of ribs me a little because uh, I th- I can't remember all the details of the story, but apparently... Uh, I messed up our first uh, scheduled engagement together. So let me just let me just go out publicly right now and say 
I'm sorry, Francisco, but I am so grateful that you stuck with me and you finally got to be on the Storytelling Lab because we had a great time when we were talking about it. We see eye to eye on a lot of different things. Francisco is a storytelling coach. He's a keynote speaker. He understands how to present and how to talk to people through stories, how to move people through stories. And that's because he's been doing this for so long. He's a national champion storyteller. He tells me this great story about when he was a kid. He was an unpopular kid at his private school. Um, and, uh, he got called up to the front of the class to tell a story and he was just nervous and didn't know what to do. And I'll go ahead and flash forward. He told an amazing story, won everybody over and became the popular kid in class. And since that point, he's understood the power of stories. He became a public speaker and now he's helping people understand how to leverage stories in their businesses, in their personal lives. But here's the thing. He's not overcomplicating it. In this conversation, he breaks it down, and the way he looks at it is different than I've heard before. And listen, I've been doing this a long time. I've been having all kinds of storytelling experts on the show. I really love the simple way he understands stories himself and the way he's able to teach it and convey it to other people because that is imperative. That is crucial. As humans... We are designed to overcomplicate things and make them harder than they are, right? That's why we look for the 17-step formulas, because that's what the greats do, right? No. How can you communicate to your audience using a simple story that conveys meaning to them in a way that inspires action? That's our goal, and that's what we talked about in this episode. So, this is my conversation with Francisco Mafus, and I hope that you love it. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, award-winning filmmaker and writer, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Tuesday morning, I send out a quick storytelling tip to my newsletter subscribers. I show you techniques I've learned along my journey and used in my own stories, as well as those of my clients. But most importantly, I leave you with tangible takeaways that you can apply to your brand storytelling immediately. Oh, well, actually, more importantly than that, it's free. If this would help you, sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Francisco, my friend, welcome to the Storytelling Lab. Welcome to the show. Welcome to this chat that we've been threatening to have uh, for quite a while now. I will I will take the blame. It is on my shoulders. Uh, so I'm sorry it took so long, but I'm very happy that you're here. Hope you're having a good day so far. I will graciously let you take the blame. And I will heap heap upon your shoulders the uh-huh. added guilt that oh. not only you not only you put off our conversation, but you forgot mm-hmm. you put off our conversation and then tried to make me feel bad for <laughs> asking about it. I think that we're being a little too authentic in our storytelling, and maybe we need to curb that a little bit. Okay, nobody said we needed to go to all those depths. Okay. This is this is what we call oversharing in the storytelling space. You're being way too open right now, okay? I was trying to keep it service level, and you're bringing us to this these dark depths of the story here, okay? Um, well, anyway, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> um, the reason I'm excited to talk to you is I, I get the feeling from our interactions online and from this one right here <laughs> that you don't really pull your punches too much. Um, and I'm not sure if that... Uh, expression translates outside of the states you understand what i'm saying uh you don't mince words there's a lot of different ways to say it but a few of us in the storytelling space it seems like have been kind of circling around this uh this theme um well i'll just ask you this what do people get wrong about storytelling let's start there and then see where it takes us I think it's almost it's almost better to ask what people 
don't get wrong about storytelling, but I, I, knew, I think I need to qualify that question a little more. Okay, sure. Do you mean people in general or do you mean people in our space? Let's start. Okay, fair. Uh, let's start with, let's start, you know what, let's start in a good space. Let's start with those that we're trying to help with people um, who could benefit from leveraging storytelling for whatever their their business or their personal missions and objectives are. What are some of the misconceptions about stories and storytelling? The most obvious misconception that I come across all the time is that people either don't understand what a story is or whenever they hear the word story, they have this lofty idea, which is a very specific type of story. So people tend to think big stories. You know, they think that having a story means you've you know, survived cancer, you scaled right. Everest, you done something that other people would consider epic or outstanding or surprising and those can be stories too but the vast majority of people don't have those stories and that leads them to think that they have no stories so that is one of the most obvious ones that i come across all the time so i know part of your i think this is like in your your kind of tagline in your bio or on your website about like be, become more interesting than netflix it's, a, it's something that i think uh allows people to kind of understand you know, we all, most people, if they don't have Netflix, they're super familiar with it uh, and understand how people binge watch and engage, et cetera, et cetera. To those people, what do you say to those people who, because I run across this a lot, who are just like, ah, my life, I'm not that interesting, right? They haven't cl climbed Everest. They haven't endured cancer. They're not a refugee from a war-torn country or something like that. And they're, and they're, just don't feel like they have a story that would be impactful and effective with people. Where, like, where do you start with them? How do you get them sure. to change that frame of mind? Usually what, what I try to do to make people reframe is make them realize that we human beings are very selfish. Uh, we're not selfish. We are self-centered. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. the most interesting thing in the world for us is usually us or people like us or people going through things that we have gone through or could have gone through. So, in, you know, I, the whole become more interesting than Netflix to some people might give them this idea that, I'm, you know, you're going to make them this super, super incredibly interesting uh, person fireworks and you know, superhero stuff and actually the reality is much simpler real life is more interesting than netflix or can be more interesting than netflix because it's just more relatable yeah so you don't need to be a good writer you don't need special effects you don't need to be particularly attractive as most of the people in most netflix shows are to become interesting to other people you just need to be relatable and being relatable is fairly easy when you have what most people call a normal life or an ordinary mm -hmm. life. Because your challenges, the struggles you go through, the things you've learned are the same struggles and the same challenges that other people either have gone through, so they relate, or they're going through right now. So they're looking for guidance. And you've, you've done that. You've, you've learned it. You, know, you and I were chatting about children. My children are slightly older than yours. Almost anything I can share about children is either something you've already gone through, so yeah. there is that me too moment there, um, or by me too it means you relate, not the yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, something. I was waiting to say something. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, part of my brain is always looking for the pitfall in what I said, which is often there. Um, and the other, you know, again, back to the children thing. So either you have gone through, so you're relating, or it's something that you know there's a good chance you will go through. Yeah, so if I start yeah. talking to you about, you know, when kids go into primary school, these are the things. My kid really struggled with this thing as soon as you went into, like, big, big kid school. Your yeah. kids are not there yet. So to you, right. this will be interesting because it's a challenge that will come up in your life. Um, and that... I think understanding that mm -hmm. is one mm -hmm. of the most important things for people to 
completely change what their idea of storytelling is and what's the purpose of storytelling and what's the use you can put storytelling to. You know, these are just real life examples that you share with other people to make whatever point you're trying to make. That's it. I know a lot of the listeners to the show are public speakers or they want to become public speakers, but the problem that many experienced and aspiring professional speakers face is that they simply don't have the time to grow their business the way they would like. And look, I get it. I've been there. Maybe you're there right now. That's why I started using the team at Virtual Campfires to provide me with leads to events and conferences that are a good fit for my message. So they send me all the relevant details I need to immediately reach out and start a conversation with those decision makers. And they've worked with hundreds of speakers to provide tens of thousands of event leads, and it's easy to see why. Outsourcing this time-consuming step has saved me hours and hours of scanning Google and lets me go faster towards my goal of more events, more audiences, and more impact. All you need to do is email leads at virtualcampfires.com to see how their lead subscription business can help you the same way it's helped me. Again, that's leads at virtualcampfires.com. Let them help you tell more great stories and get paid for it. When you were explaining this, you mentioned something um, about facts. It was kind of in passing when you were on a list of, of things. Can you can we revisit that a little bit? And I forget exactly what you said, but it was like you don't need this, you don't need that, you don't need facts or something like that. I don't want to want to want to speak for you, um, but can we address that? Like, um, our I mean, I'll I'll tee it up like this, like. When you're when they're telling a story, when someone's telling a story, how important are is it that they get all the facts right? How about that? Okay, so that's a very interesting way to ask that question. It's not important at all that they get all the facts right. Okay. Because all the facts are never gonna be in any story. Just because our brains are not set up to remember all the facts. No one would ever listen to a story that includes all the facts. But the facts you do include should be right. You know, the the only sort of exception to that, I I tend to think of it as it's okay to make lies of um, omission when you tell a story. So you can take stuff out, but you shouldn't make lies or have lies of commission, right? So don't invent stuff and put it in your story. But it's okay to just leave stuff out as long as it does not change the truth of that story. My, my favorite example of, of what I'm talking about here is, is people, right? So let's yeah. say you're in a party and you're having a conversation with three different friends, okay? But none of the friends are particularly relevant. What's relevant is the conversation. Like, you're not going to describe who the friends are. Their names are not important. It just matters that someone is talking to you about this thing. Now, if you have three different people with you in the story, you're going to confuse your audience, particularly if you give them names and if you try to give them any type of physical characteristic or whatever. If it doesn't really matter, just have pick one of those three and have the conversation be with that one person. It just makes it so much easier to tell. doesn't change the fact of the, sto- the reality of the story at all. And even if your friends were there when you tell the story, which is always a good measure of, you know, are you going too far or not? They might go, um, Francisco, that wasn't just me in that conversation. Poe and Joe were there too. It was like, Yes, but that just makes it too complicated to tell. But that was right. the conversation we were having, right? Yeah, that was the conversation. Fine. You're okay. Yes, yes, yes. All right? It, it, that's the type of fact that is not relevant to have perfectly. You know, th- does it really matter if it was two weeks ago or one week ago? Does it, right. You know, th- th- there's a lot of things that don't really matter as long as you stick into the truth of the story. If now you're making your friends say things they never said, so the story makes more sense, mm-hmm. then now it's fiction. And, and now, now you've gone too far, right? Yeah. Everyone who was there needs to be able to say, yeah, I can see you've changed some stuff there, but that's essentially what happened. As long as you yeah. can get that, then that's fine. But if you go, go beyond that, then it's fiction. It's not... It's not storytelling the way we normally refer to it, you know, me and you and people in the in the storytelling world. Mm-hmm. 
This exercise, I think you can apply to so many different uh, pieces, assets, you know, devices in, in your story, not just people. Uh, that's a good place to start because it's easy to for you to like explain that. But now that I'm thinking about, I actually had a similar experience. I was making a, my first feature documentary and really struggling because it was like a global movement. I had done tons of interviews and it's like, how do I tell a thousand stories into one simple movie? And I had a writer for Vanity Fair and Men's Health who became kind of a mentor. And he said that it's too much inside baseball was the term that he used, which basically means it's too esoteric. It's too specific and nuanced to that world. So the people who are nerds about this, it was calisthenics culture, freestyle calisthenics. The people who watch all the videos every day, they know all these characters. But for your average audience member, they didn't. And it was just too much for them to understand. It was literally what you're talking about. Like, reduce the amount of characters. The point is the story moving forward. And, of course, the film was much better received because it wasn't all over the place. But I think that, you know, you said this uh, this line in that explanation about it's not really the facts or the, you know, if it's two weeks ago or if it was three people versus one it's, you know, the things that really matter, you know, what really matters. And I think that you can use that approach to continue to eliminate the things that, that don't matter in the story. Because I think that what separates, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like what separates an amateur or a not effective storyteller and one who's kind of masterful is knowing what really matters and what doesn't. I think a lot of people when they're starting out try to include too much it's too long-winded, too many words. I mean, you can do this with just down to the word. Like, that sentence has way too many words. You could say that sentence in four words, you know? So I know I'm just kind of, I'm kind of rambling now based on what you said, but I think that's a good exercise to the people that you use, to the scenes that you have, to the words in your sentence, if it's writing, to really look at that and, like, how do I simplify while maintaining what really matters? Is that fair? It is fair, and, and it's, it's, you're absolutely right. It's not just the number of people. Time is another thing that people mm -hmm. get confused about. Like, if something, like, for example, take a conversation I'm having with my, my wife, right, or my kids, okay? I tell yeah. a lot of stories about conversations I had with my oldest kid. Now, maybe she said something one day, and then she said the other thing the next day, and then she said right. something else three days later. Just telling it to you now is boring me. If I just make the whole thing one conversation, yeah. does it really change anything? Probably doesn't. Okay, and this is what people don't necessarily get: the the story is not meant to be the whole truth. The story is meant to be a slice of life that allows you to convey meaning to people. Okay, you're just picking this one example of probably this bigger thing in the world because then people understand it, they, they remember it, they relate to it. It's not meant to be all of the things that you're trying to represent. And this is sometimes where people get, they get confused when it comes to, say, using stories in a presentation because they talk about data and say, oh, a story, a story is not data. No, a story is one data point. If mm -hmm. that one data point is a good way to illustrate the data you're trying to talk about, then that's a great way to use a story. What you shouldn't ever do is pick the only data point you have, be it a story or anything else, and try to pretend that it's the whole thing. But that's not what we're doing with the storytelling. You usually say, okay, I want to make a point about you know, good communication. I'm going to find an example of either good communication or bad communication from my life or from my work. And I'm going to share a story about that. And that's my lead in to this bigger point about the importance of communication. I'm not suggesting that this one two minute story I just told is the only thing you need to know about good or bad communication or that right. it represents all the aspects of it. Um, and I think when you go back to the crafting of a story, this is the other thing people get wrong. The story should be the smallest slice of life you can tell that makes that point. And usually mm. that is one moment in time. So the example I always love to give is, if you want to show me how crazy your family is, don't <laughs> tell me about years and years and years in your childhood. Just tell right. me about one Thanksgiving dinner. 
if you describe one Thanksgiving dinner, maybe just the moment when you're on the, you know, everybody's sitting around the table and then your crazy aunt starts saying something and then your grandfather is shouting at someone, just that <laughs> moment probably, is probably going to give me a much better insight in how crazy your childhood was than you trying to tell me when I was five years old, this happened. When I was seven years old, that happened. Okay, so one slice of life, one moment in time as an example of what you're trying to say and not, you know, don't try to cram in as much information as you can because you think that's a better representation. Yeah, people get lost. I mean, I think what I see happens a lot is the same thing that, that my mentor at the time, his name was Michael, said to me about the inside baseball concept is like, we're familiar with all these data points or these uh, events that happen in our lives for your example about the crazy family. But when we're talking to somebody else, we really have to understand that they're hearing it for the first time. And it's like watching, it's like, you know, n never watching any of the Marvel comic movies and then watching like the F Infinity War Endgame or whatever and trying to like keep up when you have like a hundred different characters that were stars of their own movie. And, and, and I think that people overlook that so much that... It, you're not realizing you know the contents of this story very, very well. You've heard it, you know, these, this is your life. But other people are hearing it for the first time, and it's not as easy for them to connect those dots unless you, you know, like, like you said, the conversation you might have had with your wife that took place over days in, in a week. It's like that, that. that's too much, you know. Keeping it simple is much easier for me to follow than trying to retain, oh, well, what day was the second sentence she said or whatever so i think that's a thing that people tragically kind of mess up when it comes to understanding how to leverage storytelling you know and the marvel the marvel movies is a great example because if you think about it you know those those movies particularly the whole you know avengers infinity war thing it yeah. became more and more complicated and got to a point where it was very difficult to, to have any clue what was going on unless you were pay, watching and paying attention or you were steeped into the, the culture of the comic books like I was. But even saying that, there are scenes in those movies that you could watch in isolation and walk away, not only understanding the scene itself, but having a, a really good feeling for what the relationship between the characters was or what type of people they were and that that sometimes i mean if, when you're making a preview for a movie when you're making the trailer that is one of the things you're trying to do you're trying to give people an idea of what the the movie is going to be without giving up giving away too much yeah. Yeah. but also when you're when you're telling a story that is really what you're trying to do. You want people to understand the relationship between the characters without you having to explain. You know, I always... So again, this is an example that I've used many times because I think it's powerful, but I, there's a story I tell often. I, I very commonly finish keynotes or workshops with this story. And it's a story that starts with me saying um, my my... Whether she was my my five year old, um, my five year old was about to hurt her baby sister again, so I did what I always did. Um, I I I told her not to, and she did what she always did. She ignored me, <laughs> and that's all I'm gonna say about my relationship with my kids or their relationship with each other. There's nothing else on that story that I'm gonna share that has that is any type of explanation or background. Or, or whatever, right? There may be one line that I say a bit later that just gives you a bit more of an insight on in who I am as a person and why that matters to me. But <clears throat> what a lot of people would do is they would say, I have two kids and the oldest is this age and the youngest is this <laughs> yeah, age. Yeah, yeah. They don't always have a great relationship. It's very common that they fight all the time. And you know, when they fight, which none of that is interesting yeah, yeah, to listen yeah. to. And you could have done that with two or three lines. Mm -hmm. So now I'm not saying that most people are going to be able to storytell that way, but in a perfect world, what we're trying to always do is find what's the smallest moment in time you can share that contains all the things we need to know to understand the point of your story and to be moved by it, if that's the case. Um, and if you don't can't have them all in there, 
didn't add a little bit of exposition. But what most people do, coming back to your original question of what people get wrong, is they they don't understand this concept of the moment in time. And instead of showing us what they're trying to show us, they tell us. And telling yeah. takes a lot more time than showing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love this concept of, of the smallest slice uh, of life to con- to convey the meaning. That That's really um, sticking with me. I, lo- I love that um, angle, that approach. Let's switch it up a little bit. Um, you brought us back to that initial question, what people get wrong. Now let's look at it from the other perspective, especially because you talked about uh, a story that you tell in, in your speeches quite often. And this is a point that I think that if we didn't talk about directly, I've seen uh, you and others in our space discuss this. Now I want to, dis- I want to discuss um, what the storytelling gurus, as I said to you in a message uh, a while back, uh, get wrong. And we'll start with a, st- a storytelling speaker that doesn't use stories in their content or their speeches, right? Is that a problem? And if so, why? Yeah, there's a massive problem. Um, I think it depends how big a problem it is. So let's take it from let's take it from the speaker angle first. I don't think I've ever seen any keynote speech that was any good that didn't have at least a handful of stories in it. Like I don't think you can hold someone. I mean, you can. Can you hold an audience's attention for 45 minutes to an hour without having at least three, four, five stories in there. You can, but you have to do so much, you know, rhetorical gymnastics or or have, you know, videos or some sort of live demonstration of the thing you're doing. You know, I've seen speakers that paint on stage and, you know, that's its own thing. But if you're a speaker who mostly speaks and you don't have some stories in your speech, it's going to be boring. There is just no way that you're going to be able to go through that much time without using examples for what you're doing. And if the examples never come in the form of a story, if it's just a slide with a thing on it, I find it very unlikely you're going to be able to make that a particularly entertaining or memorable speech. Maybe with humor, but even so, I would be very surprised if you managed to do that without stories. I haven't really seen it be done well without stories. I don't know if yeah, that's been even, your I experience, mean, but. No, and I share what I believe is your stance on that, and I see it a lot, and maybe it's more reflected in storytelling content, right? The people who are kind of touting. What I've seen, the deeper I've gotten to the storytelling space with, you know, people, our peers and contemporaries, um, and which I've been. I mean, I'm a documentary filmmaker, so I've been storytelling my whole career, so almost 20 years, but in terms of like coaching and consulting and speaking, what year is it now? 2023, about five. It was around 2018, 2017, 18, when I really started doing it. And what I'm seeing now after I've uh, matured a little bit in the space is like the same content over and over and over again, the same like hero's journey, this, that, the third, that's just like just splattered out there. And it's it's some of it still resonates with people. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. But I question if it really helps them become better storytellers when that's telling, not showing. Right? You're just talking. You're basically giving them storytelling stats and data and bullet points without. You know what I mean? And and I start to take issue with that and really question if it's transferring to the people they're trying to help if it's genuinely teaching them and helping them understand how to use stories yeah my beef with that is this i don't have any problem if if you don't tell a lot of stories and storytelling is just a part of what you teach okay so if you if you're someone if you're helping people communicate better or write better or right. speak better, storytelling is going to be a part of what you do, but it doesn't necessarily need to be the main thing. Um, and point. then it makes complete sense that you're going to use storytelling structures, but not actual stories when you communicate, when you copyright, whatever. That's fine. Got no issue with that. 
what I have a problem with is someone who has storytelling as the main thing they do, supposedly, but in moments where you're telling people they should be telling stories, you're not telling stories. So you can't be someone who says to people, you know, the best way to communicate on LinkedIn is to do video, but you always do that through a text post or a carousel, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? You know, you can't be saying that what you shouldn't do is, is put a selfie on every post, but your posts never have a selfie. So <laughs> if you're telling people storytelling is a great way to communicate, the best way to make your points, but and, and you're telling them you should be using this in your social media content, you should be using this in your speaking you should be using this in your meetings. But then you see this person speaking, they're not telling stories. You read their social media content, they're not telling stories. You sit in a sales meeting or discovery call with them, not a single story comes up. Well, why are you teaching people to do something that you don't do yourself? Mm -hmm. Then is it because you don't know how to do it, which be doubtful, or because you just don't believe in it enough? And mm -hmm. that's, that's really my beef. You want to do that, fine, but then don't have storytelling as the main thing you're supposedly doing. Just be a communications coach or a speaking coach or a copywriting coach or a LinkedIn coach or whatever you want to be. But you know, otherwise, you're just using the term for the buzz of it. Yeah. And it, that, doesn't, that doesn't help people. And then everybody was like, I love storytelling. It's great what we're wired to do and none of these people are telling stories right? the people loving it are not telling a story the people posting about it are not right. telling a story and then you actually try to show people what the story looks like they've never seen one before yeah absolutely uh i think that's a really fair point that you brought up about um if it's a part of what of what you teach because you see that a lot people that are copywriting coaches you know helping you with writing or comedy or like you said just communication in general or presentations you know a lot of people talk about presenting and it also includes creating a nice deck or something like that um but storytelling is a part of it so i think that's really fair um what else do people that storytelling is their main thing when they're teaching and coaching and speaking and trying to help people use stories what else do they do you see they get wrong often? Um, I think there is, it's difficult sometimes to, to judge that because there is a very different spectrum of, of storytelling styles. You know, some people yes. are, you know, I'm, I'm, my style is very much the, the very short, typically personal story that mm -hmm. I'm using to make a point about something else. Okay, so mm -hmm. that's most of the stories you see me put out on social media are that type of story. A lot of the stories I speak when I speak that I use when I speak are stories about my personal life, my family, my children, my friends, and I'm using to make other points. Some people prefer the longer type of stories. So, you know, they're doing a 45 minute presentation and they will have one seven minute story in there. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of different styles and I don't think any of them are wrong necessarily. Mm -hmm. But the one thing... The one thing I occasionally find is that there is a very sort of utilitarian approach to storytelling, which is very useful. And it's one of the best ways to teach people is saying, you have this story for this thing. You know, this is your sales story. This is your founder story or your origin story. Yeah. And, and that is very, very useful. And I think the vast majority of people out there should learn that style. They should learn the two or three stories they need to be telling all the time, and they should tell those. They don't need to try and become storytellers because they don't want to become storytellers. They just become want to become more effective at closing deals and putting content out, whatever. Yeah. But yeah. what I find what I find that the problem of that approach is that to a lot of people, that is very limiting. And because maybe they don't resonate to that, you know, I, do I really need a founder story? I'm not a founder. And in their head, yeah. that's the only person that would tell a founder story. You know, do I need the sales story? I'm not in sales. And they miss out on all the opportunities for communication. And I say without that much shame, uh, everyday magic that exists in the small stories that you find all the time. Um, there's a whole universe of storytelling that every single person in the world could benefit from without being storytellers or speakers or coaches. And this idea of the hero's journey or the, these three or four stories you should be telling 
can sometimes be be limiting to to those mm-hmm. people. So it's not really it's not so much a mistake and more something that I hopefully I don't fall into because although um, particularly you know I I spend a lot of time talking to people about the the one story the the main story they should be telling which is their own sort of origin story, um, but I tell small stories all the time. So it should be pretty obvious for anyone that follows anything I do that I don't believe that anyone should only have the one story. You should have hundreds and hundreds, but there's one that you need to know for sure. Yeah, I think that's a uh, a good point. And maybe where most people miss it is is that it sounds like it depends on your objective, like what you're trying to accomplish. You know, like you said, some people are going to be telling seven seven minute stories in a 60 minute keynote. And that's a different approach than someone who's telling, you know, stories in their TikTok videos. That's a, a minute or 90 seconds or whatever. And I think often maybe we think that the, the the type of story or the structure to use applies across the board to every type of story that we're going to tell. And I think that uh, that's a really valid uh, point that it, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish uh, to determine your approach. And it's like anything that you're trying to achieve, right? Uh, the end goal and the mission should should determine the path. How does one become better at storytelling? Not how do they tell their founder story or how do they tell their sales story, but how do they become better at the skill? Well, the obvious answer to that is you have to tell a lot of stories, but mm-hmm. that answer doesn't help a lot of people because Correct. to yeah. tell a lot of stories, you need to find a lot of stories. And yeah, that, yeah. that's the main thing. I, the, the, the third mistake that I didn't talk about is, is this uh, overestimation of what a story is or mm-hmm. what telling a story is. I mean, like all a story is for the vast majority of people is an example. Okay. So I, I, when I'm working with co- corporate people, I always say, this subject you want to talk about and present about, do you have any examples? Like, has it happened to someone in your team, to a customer, to, to someone else in another company in the same industry? Yeah, of course. Okay, can you pick one that, can you think of one that is a good example of the thing you're trying to say? Uh, yeah, this one my teammate last week. Well, okay, fine. Open with that. All right? That's it. That's like, it's just a small thing. It happened recently and it's an example. Once people understand that anything that happened in your life, professionally or personally, that taught you something, that changed you in any minute way, that was unexpected, um, maybe that was just you know weird or thought-provoking or funny, or WTF, as I like to call that, um, any of those things can make for a good story and for a very useful story. Yeah. So... That is the very first thing. People need to learn how to identify stories and find them and collect them. Because once you've done that, the telling, for a lot of people, doesn't even need a lot of work. Right? Mm-hmm. If they found a story that is small enough, they will tell it within you know, a couple of minutes anyway. So you can always make it better. But it's not as if you're trying to condense a 10-minute boring odyssey into, into something they can use. Um, mm-hmm. So finding the stories is is the very first thing and perhaps the most important thing that people need to do to perfect that skill. I like the give me an example approach. This is what we do in documentary filmmaking when I'm interviewing somebody. You know, I don't say, tell me about your wife, you know, but instead I say like, you know, tell me a time where you felt very close with your wife, right? Give me an example, precisely what you said, because that one, it usually brings up a story. And you and I know that that's, you know, that connects with people a lot more emotionally than just saying, oh, she's very sweet. I love her very much. You know, now we're telling, not showing. And so that's a really good approach um, that I think is easy to overlook. Just like, that's all it is. Because this is my bone to pick with, the storytelling structures, and I use storytelling structures to teach people. Of course I do. But with the ones like the hero's journey that get touted and shared, you know, so much, it's just like, how are you going to take a 17-step or whatever storytelling structure that George Lucas used for one of the biggest, you know, narratives of all time over the course of however many films uh, that was and tell a, a novice to use the hero's journey in their two minute, you know, story to, to sell, 
shampoo or whatever they sell. Uh, yeah, it seems very, very challenging for me, even though it's very easy for people to be like, oh, I love the hero's journey. So cool. So, so cool. Um, I want to learn a little bit more be before we go uh, about, I'm really interested in the path that like led you here. What was your background? Like, did you, when, at what point in your life where you were like, oh, this is, this is a path that I want to go down. I, I want to be the guy that's helping people tell, tell stories. How did you get there? Well, before I, before I answer that question, let me answer the question of uh, Brian Melnick, who just appeared in the chat. Um, my name is Francisco Mafus, Brian. Uh, I think it should appear somewhere on your screen. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> should, it, it, should, it, it should. Where is it? He's on LinkedIn. Yeah, it should say it in the description, Brian, but yeah. Uh, this is Francisco. Glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it wasn't it wasn't a particularly straightforward path, right? But yeah, sure. But the first is, is the, the first the, true. The first thing, the first thing, and you might have heard me talk about this before, was that um, when I was 12 years old, um, so you know, I'm 12 years old, I'm, I'm in class, and, and my teacher uh, looks at me and says, um, Francisco, can you please come up here and tell a story to the whole class? And then I, I sort of looked around the classroom, and half of my classmates were, uh, were horrified for me, and the other half couldn't wait to see me crash and burn because I was never really like a popular kid in school uh -huh. um, through great financial sacrifice. My mom put me in this fancy private school, but that also meant that like everybody had money and I didn't. So right. they could, I could never dress like the kids. I could never go on the school trips. Whenever anybody invited me to their home, um, I was embarrassed to invite them back to mine because there was yeah. just no comparison. Um, and that made me different. And at that age, being different wasn't good. But True. as I started walking to the front of the class, I, I, I get this idea. I had this idea that only like a stupid kid can have, which is like, what if they like my story? What if that changes everything? <laughs> um, so I got up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, too many superhero comic books. So I got up there and, and I told a story uh, and, and it went great. You know, they laughed and they cheered and they asked for more. And at that moment, I felt like the most popular kid in that school. You know, and then the, the recess bell rang and everybody left the classroom and uh, that was it. I wasn't popular at all. I'm <laughs> still the same kid I always was. Um, and, and for a very long time, I completely forgot about that experience and, and about, you know, how powerful stories could be. And, you know, we were talking about kids earlier and mm -hmm. I had uh, one kid. It was a few years ago. I had one kid, but, you know, b being a grown up and having had one kid didn't teach me how that process worked. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, my, my wife and I found out we were going to have another kid and I got completely terrified. Like I panicked. I was like, no, I'm like in my, <laughs> I was in my late thirties. I had like a serious, boring job, I'm married. I have two kids. This is it. This is the rest <laughs> of my life from now and forever. And, uh, and I really, really panicked. I went like, I had three really rough days there. Um, and then I, I had been speaking for a long time, like as a hobby, like the Toastmaster mm -hmm. type of thing. And I, I yeah, took okay. part in some competitions. I won some stuff. And whenever people ask me if I wanted to take it seriously and maybe, you know, try a career out of it, I was like, ah, oh, no, I've got a, I've got a job. I don't want to rock. The what boat. was your job at that time? A financial advisor. Oh. Yeah. So as boring as they come. And, uh, and then, and then when I was in this panic moment, one of my, my good friends said, Francisco, I, I know you said no to this before, but some friends and I, we were starting this like professional speakers association in Spain. And I was wondering if you maybe this time, like, yes, yes, something else, please, <laughs> something exciting. Um, and, and that's when I started going down the rabbit hole of, of speaking and coaching and training and very quickly I realized that the the part of speaking that I was most passionate about and seemed to have a, a bit of a knack for was storytelling. So that's mm -hmm. how I ended up um, specializing in that above all the other possibilities I had as a as a speaker. Who are some of the people that inspire inspired and inspire you uh, in your storytelling journey that kind of helped shape your perspective on it all? Like who do you look up to? And they don't have to in be the like storytelling. 
No, I mean, in the beginning, it was, um, I was one of the first books that I read that, um, that really confirmed to me that this is where I wanted to be. The space I wanted to be in was uh, Kendra Hall's Stories That Stick. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing read. Um, and, you know, right in the beginning, a lot of, a lot of the stuff I was trying to do, I always had that in the back of my mind and I was trying to formulate my approach um, with hers in mind, which wasn't a particularly amazing fit. And then I started taking it in, taking things from other people and changing. Um, so a couple of other people that inspired me a fair bit. One was uh, Sean Callahan, who wrote Putting Stories to Work. And he runs a, a story consultancy company called Anecdote. And uh, the other one, I think, is someone you've had in the show not long ago, which was uh, Matthew Dix. Oh, man. Yeah. Love Matthew. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he is he is the depository of all storytelling knowledge um, in my mind these days. And I think, although the types of stories he tells are longer than mm -hmm. most of the stuff I end up telling, I think most of the technical stuff that I've learned over the last year or two is more in line with the things he does and, and the things he teaches than than anyone else. And um, I still find that when I listen to him, I pick up a lot of new stuff. That's not always yeah. the case with some of the other people. And perhaps because the other people, other people like him, commercially package their stuff in a more effective way, I would say. Like it's, it's, it's an easier package to sell. The book mm -hmm. itself is, again, there's much better marketing on that one than, say, Matthew's. And uh, the lessons are easier to remember in some ways for people because, you know, it's the four types of stories. It's the four elements in a story. Yeah. Um, whereas his stuff, I think, once you learn a bit of storytelling, you see a lot of nuance that you can learn from. Um, I don't, I still like her stuff, but I don't think I've learned much from her in a while. Whereas mm -hmm. he, him, every time I hear him speak about storytelling, I pick up something new. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. I totally agree. Like his first, you know, his book story where they kind of are just randomly ran across it. And I consume all this stuff, uh, you know, and, and so when I read it, it really like impacted me. He just had a different perspective or either conveyed it differently um and it really it really stuck with me um yeah i totally feel what you're saying there it's like it's kind of under the radar that's not really fair to say to him because he's you know well known within the moth space and you know national champion storyteller etc cetera, etc cetera. um but not on on the level of of, of some of those so I, I think that's a really really good point what um this is a big question, so bear with me. But what I'm trying to get to with it is your unique philosophy on on story. So what is, now that you've been in this space and you do it effectively, you teach people, you use it yourself, what is the thing that is most exciting to you or most important about stories, about sharing stories? So, so there's, I think there's two ways to, to answer that question in my mind, uh, because there is what's m more exciting about stories to me is not necessarily what's most exciting about sharing. Um, okay. What's more exciting to me is that once you learn to see much of life as a collection of stories, life just feels a lot more exciting. It's, you know, a lot of this comes from having done Matthew Dick's homework for life uh, approach where every oh. single day you, you write down, if you had to tell a story from today, what would it be? I've been doing that now for over 700 days. And it's absolutely true that the more you do that, the more you see all these little stories around you. And that just fills life with meaning because that's what a story is. And I'm not saying that I'm developing all of the stories, but for me to think about I could tell a story about this. I need to realize that this thing has meaning. I've learned something from it. I, it changed me in some way. And if you do that, like one thing, at least every single day that has taught you something or changed you in some way, life starts looking very, very different than what I think a lot of us, the way a lot of us see our lives, which yeah. is just the big events with nothing much in between. 
and and I I think and people say to me all the time like ah oh, you 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 live a crazy life and all these exciting things happen in my life nothing happens in my life like <laughs> Matthew Dix has been arrested he almost died there's a whole yeah. like nothing happens in my life what happens in my life is like my kid said something silly right or I was ironing my clothes and thought that maybe it was a great idea to iron my pants while wearing them right like this is the type of crazy thing that happens in my life um but but this is personally this is the most exciting thing if i never told any of the stories in my life ever again i'm still getting a ton out of storytelling just by doing yeah. it for myself now the yeah. the why is it what's more exciting about sharing it i think it's again you know this tagline i have sounds pretty fanciful you know become more interesting than netflix but i think once people start telling stories then they start rethinking and reframing what their life is like and they're forced to tell it and people are excited about the stories they tell the stories have a good reception and they go wow i never thought that this little thing that happened to me could be interesting to so many people and that makes people realize yeah you not only you are interesting but you can be interesting and that does not require you to do so, some sort of like headline grabbing uh, attitude to life like you don't need to climb mountains you don't need to be to win awards or the olympics or whatever it's you know we relate to people like us and people like us are interesting to us so you just need to show people that you like them, that you feel like they do, and that you've gone through the things that they're going through now, which also puts you in a conveniently puts you in a very good position to be their guide if whatever you do personally or professionally um, benefit from people seeing you as their guide. If you've generally gone yeah. through those experiences, why would you not use them to position yourself as someone who has literally gone through what people have gone through and yeah. can help them find a way to where you are now? Just to kind of bring it back full circle to your earlier point about the smallest slice of life, even though you haven't been arrested and near-death experiences like like Matthew Dix has, has had, uh, I think the the story about ironing the pants while wearing them is a, is a great little one to connect with people, and I, I would love to learn the lesson uh, that you learned from that. So that that perfectly illustrates your your earlier point about the the smallest slice of life, and it doesn't have to be getting arrested or being held at gunpoint or something like that. Because I'm already like teed up and engaged into what came from that instance. Um, uh, before we wrap up, I want to ask. You know, I know that you've written a book. You you're speaking all the time, coaching with people. Is there something coming up uh, new in your life or your business that you're looking forward to? Like what's going on in 2023 or early 2024? Are you building to something new? What is the next path for you? Well, apart from mastering the, the homemade pizza game, which is uh, something I'm putting a lot of my mental energy to. Well, the, the main thing is not really new as much mm -hmm. as it is a new focus because mm. i've done i've done a lot of stuff in the sort of the coaching space and and i fell a little bit into this trap that i think a lot of people do a little mm -hmm. bit fall into which is there's all these different ways you can help people yes and you feel inclined to help them in all these different ways and mm -hmm. one thing i have found is that when it comes to storytelling, there are people that absolutely love it and want to become better at it. But the vast majority of people that say they want to become better at storytelling don't actually care about storytelling. They just care about the, the results of storytelling. So in my specific case, what I found is because, you know, I just, spent a lot of time on LinkedIn and I was getting clients through LinkedIn and I found that most people don't want to put in the time and the effort that would be required for them to go from someone who doesn't usually tell stories to someone who tells them all the time and is very good at them. That's mm -hmm. not what they want. What they do want is to have 
a story or anything between one and three stories, like we talked about earlier, that mm -hmm. positions them incredibly well for what they do. And that can either be something they tell all the time, if they're giving interviews, like doing the going to podcast like this one, or something that feeds into their brand, their content, their speaking. Um, so I've been referring to this as not only storytelling as the face of the brand, of the face of what you do, but as the backbone. Mm. And, and this was always one of my, my favorite parts of doing the work I did with my clients is I always wanted everybody to have an origin story, even if they never intended to tell them. And then you mm -hmm. spend 90 minutes with someone, you have them tell you their deepest, darkest secrets, you figure out who they're trying to be in the world, and then you try to make those connections. Okay, so what have you? What is the pain that you have gone through that your your ideal clients are going through now? And what is the power that you've learned from that pain that allows mm. you to help them now? Um, you know, maybe have superhero brain. So I'm always looking for you know what's the pain that gave you a purpose and what's the power you have to help people. And that was always a super enjoyable experience. People loved it. There was always lots of insights from that. And people going, huh, I never thought about it that way. And I didn't know that about myself. And I always mm -hmm. liked that. And, and then I said to myself earlier this year, I said, people love that. I love that. And that does a very interesting thing, which is allows people to get clarity and confidence on mm -hmm. who, how they're showing up in the world who they are, why they can help, who their ideal clients are. So, and they can tell it. They can also tell it. It's not just a branding thing. They can also go out and tell the story. So yeah. I said, well, why don't you just focus on that and not on all these other things that are very interesting, but are not really what most people are looking for. So I've been switching around the focus slightly of what I talk about, but that's my, my main goal now is... Uh, this year, at least on the coaching side of things, is this idea of um, that if you haven't got a story, you haven't got a brand. Or at least you don't have one that you can feel clarity and confidence in. Mm. And, I, and the, both of those are so important. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we overlook so often in, in the efforts of you know, trying to be clever, trying to differentiate ourselves as we lose that clarity and i think back to your initial point uh stories are about conveying meaning and i think that's a, an easy way to be clear in your communication is to show people through stories so man i appreciate you francisco this has been an awesome conversation i'm glad we finally uh finally made it happen and uh thank you thank you my friend i hope the level of authenticity uh, after that uh, rough beginning hasn't gone past you. I'll never forgive <laughs> you. I will never forgive you. I don't, you know, it's, it's very on brand, uh, you know, so I should have expected. <laughs> no, I deserve it. I'll take my lumps. Uh, yes, you, you said you said right at the beginning that I don't pull my punches. Uh, yeah, I didn't mean on me. I, no, no, I, I, and what I was going to say there and then didn't was um, it's not that I'm consciously aware that i am going to punch someone and maybe i should pull it is that the concept of pulling whatever people are considering punches, both the concept that these are punches and maybe i should pull them i you know they're still very far away from my mind it's like someone was like do you think you should be saying that it's like oh is that inappropriate i hadn't even way? thought about it nobody <laughs> hey Keep being you, brother. I I love it. And I think we we need it in the world and we definitely need it in the storytelling space. Francisco, my friend, have a great evening. I appreciate your time. You too, man. Take care. See you, buddy. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. This podcast is a six-second stories production. 
Six Second Stories is a story coaching and consulting company that builds online education, in-person and virtual training, and digital products that help businesses master storytelling to find their ideal customers and market to them effectively. You can learn more at sixsecondstories.com and purchase the book Six Second Stories at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, or rainbennett.com slash sixsecondstories. 